Good evening and welcome to Monergy Life. I want to welcome all our new listeners as well as our continuing listeners. And tonight I have the great pleasure to welcome consummate entertainer Cynthia Adler. Cynthia's creative career has spanned many different outlets, from voiceover artist to actress to comedian to even environmental activist in New York State, Cynthia has seemingly done it all and made some really interesting contributions to uh, her art and to the public. So while we're waiting for Cynthia to call in, let me just wish all of you a beautiful evening. We're doing a show from New York City tonight and the weather could not be better. Spring has really come early, and it's about 70 degrees now, and we're just really, really enjoying the weather. Anyone who's been outside today could attest to that. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, our guest when she calls in. Uh, she's going to be giving us some um, some excerpts from her one-woman show which has gotten some amazing reviews. The show is called Downloaded and in Denial. And um and Cynthia has many characters. Hello. Hello. Cynthia. Hello. Yes. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I heard some great music there. I thought I was gonna get serenaded here. <laughs> yes, that was the opening music, which somehow went on when you called. So you, yes, you you're in sync with the show. Yes, I I got, I got heralded in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you like the music. <laughs> uh, while we were waiting for you to call in, I was giving you a brief introduction, and mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that some of the characters you're going to give us this evening are going to be memorable. I was just <laughs> talking about your show, Downloaded and in Denial. Oh yeah. Um, before Download we get it, yeah. Before. Mm -hmm. Before we get into that, do you want to tell us a little about how you got into um, this work and perhaps your work with the Muppets and Jim Henson oh, sure. might be a good place to start? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, the work, basically, I, 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 I was sort of almost born into the work because my name is Adler, as you know. So my mother was part of the Adler family, which was Stella Adler and Luther Adler, and she was a you know very famous acting teacher. And uh, my mother was uh, my mother's mother was a cousin. So um, I I went to the high school performing arts when I was a kid, and so I was basically in the business, and I, I did a lot of different arms of the business. I was not, I didn't kind of directly go into shows. But um, what happened was when I, uh, I lived in Los Angeles for a while, and at that time I got into voiceovers very, very heavily. And did a lot of cartoons for Hannah Barbera and the Patty Freeling, so because I could do all these crazy voices since I was a kid, so I started doing these cartoons, and um I guess I came back from California after a while and uh did a little bit of theater and uh was writing as well, and wrote for advertising agencies, et cetera, et cetera, and I was at a party. And somebody said to me, oh, you've got to do one of those characters that you do. And I think it was, um, they, they introduced me to this man. His name was John Lovelady. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know him. And he, they said, uh, oh, why don't you do, you know, I had this I had this character I did, which was a duck. 
And it was a really cute character. <laughs> she was, you know, really sweet and everything. But she was a duck, you know. So uh, she said, oh, you've got to do the duck. You've got to do the duck. So I did the duck, and then he asked me to do something else. I think I did a, you know, something of a bear. You know, I just did these crazy characters for this guy, and we were laughing, you know. And he right. said, you know, I'd like you to meet my boss. I said, well, who's your boss? And he said, Jim Henson. And I said, oh. He said, well, I said, I don't know if I want to do Muppets. He said, no, 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 come on. You have, you know, I was nuts. So anybody else would have said, oh, my God, Jim Henson, you know. Right. So uh, I went and I met Jim Henson, and it was just, first of all, he was one of the most wonderful men that you could ever meet in your life. He was just a gem, a very sweet, very creative, very uh, attentive. You know, he listened to everything. He he didn't right. have a lot a lot of ego, which was really interesting. He didn't. Now, that's, even that's after, rare in show business. <laughs> very rare, yes. And even after he became very big in the business, you know, when the Muppets really took off. And I have a funny story to tell about that, too. But anyway, uh, we sat and we talked, and we just had a, a, a very strong connection. We talked to each other for a long time. And then he went, he said, excuse me for a minute, and he went into a back room, and he came out with this thing, which was a Muppet, and he says, put this on your hand. And so I put it on my hand, and he said, make it talk. So I tried to make it talk, you know, by moving my hands, you know. And the thing is, what was so wonderful, you know, he said, well, that's not exactly right, but how would you like to learn? And I said, okay, all right. So he trained me for about, I would say, two months. He and Frank Oz actually trained me. And right. uh, I, you know, I, I could learn to work the Muppet, but this is the funny part of it. They have they they were doing Sesame Street, but they hadn't gotten that huge yet because what had to happen was they had to go to London. The shows in London were really started to make them very 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 big, and uh, so they they were just going to their first show in London, and. Jim said to me, well, I think I'd like you to go to London. I'd like you to work in London. And I said, oh, well, I would love that, you know. So I signed up to do three of the shows in London. And uh, I had to really practice. So I had to take this Muppet through Europe with me. And I, because I was going here, I was going to Italy. And I, I was dubbing films for the Italians at the time. I was dubbing things like Swept Away and, you know, um, 1900 for Berlucci. I was doing all these, you know, the American version of the of the, of the films, and I was uh, I had practically family in Italy, so I would travel through. But the Muppets, because they were so plump and you know dense, they didn't really fit in a bag. So you know the head would go out of the bag, and people, of course, they'd never seen anything like this in the trains and the you know wherever I was. Really so. Funny. It was so funny. And I had this really crazy-looking Muppet. So I did it. And then on the way back from Italy, I stopped in London and uh, met the cast and everything and then came back. But this is what happened. When I got to London and I got, you see, using a Muppet, and I, I hope I can explain this uh, without seeing me do it, but, but, you know, when you're in front of a monitor because you're below a table, you know, there's a table right. and then the Muppet is above the table. Well, sure. the fact is that when you're turning right, the monitor's turning left. So you have to invert everything. And I, I didn't know how to do that. So I, let's just say that my learning curve was pretty brutal, but I got it. <laughs> I got it after a while. <laughs> now, I may have held up production for, you know, 20 minutes, but I got it. 
So, uh, you know, it was it was an incredible time and a wonderful time. And they had asked me, you know, and it was a choice that I had to make. There was a woman there um, who, whose name was Erin Oscar, and she was a Muppeteer. She she died um, very young. She was very, very close to me, but she was extraordinary. And she started the Puppeteers Caucus, you know, during that time. And she helped me a lot while I was there in London. Uh, and, what an um, experience that must yeah. have been. Incredible, just incredible. So, yeah, and then, of course, the shows became huge. I still get mail from people saying, I saw you do Cynthia Bird. I saw, you know, such and such. It's really very funny. And, I, by the way, I did end up doing The Duck. I did The Duck. Oh, you as did? A doc. Yeah, the, du- the, the Duck was a patient in a hospital. Yeah, <laughs> people loved it. The Duck was crazy, telling the doctors that they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, it was pretty wild. So, but it was very funny because Frank Oz. Well, I don't know if you want to talk that much about this, but it's it's a it's a funny subject because Frank Oz at one point before the Muppets got very big, he said, "I don't know, I'm under this pig thing. No one's ever going to see her. No one's ever going to know who she is." You know, and then of course it became the biggest thing in the world. So, uh, of course, yeah, it was of a wonderful course. it was a wonderful experience for me. Yeah, really. So, after working with the Muppets, what was your next move career-wise? Well, I was doing cartoons, uh, a lot of cartoons. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had been uh, writing for different publications, and I wrote a lot of humor, too. And uh, there was uh, a guy who was uh, an art director in one of the advertising agencies, and he said, you know, we're going toward a lot of humor now. Would you like to try your hand at writing advertising copy? And I hadn't even done a voiceover yet. You know, I mean, I didn't even think about that. So uh, I did, and I uh, went and I wrote you know, commercials, television commercials and radio commercials, which uh, were totally weird that they hardly ever used. (laughs) And they were a little too far out. And um, then uh, I got into voiceovers really quite by accident uh, when I was in Los Angeles at one point. And um, I don't know if you want to hear that story, but, you know, it was just kind of an accidental thing. I was sort of, you know, talked to somebody and an agent who asked me if I wanted to do commercials, you know, and... I said, I, I, you know, I look too European. I don't, uh, you know, I don't think I'll do very well. And um, so I said, but I do these funny voices. And he said, oh, my God. And I said, I'd love to do cartoons. And he said, you know, 12 people do all the cartoons in this town. You're not going to get anything. No kidding. Yeah. But I said, I don't know. He called in the voice guy, and I put down about 10 voices. And and they signed a contract with me, and the rest was history. So then I came back to New York, and I was doing a lot of narrations, uh, you know, real people, real stories, real sex. That was HBO. <laughs> I remember that. That was one, yeah, that was one of my most fam- famous ones. But uh, yeah, I did a lot of narrations for Discovery, for Court TV, for HBO, for you know, and commercials. You know, commercials as well. And I was doing shows in between. And then at one point, I started to do my own shows. And that's when I started well, uh, to. That's when you developed uh, characters for the shows. Yeah, one, I did. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, I, I'm an environmental activist, so um, I w- was with Creative Coalition for a long time. And, um, you know, we, we worked on the water. We actually saved the water in New York because the water was not good. And You uh, mean the Hudson River or the drinking water? Uh, the drinking water. The drinking water. Mm-hmm. Would, would you like to hear that story? Uh, it definitely. Was that when Billy Baldwin was involved with the Creative Coalition? Uh, no, Billy was not involved at that time. Billy came afterwards. This was uh, Chris Reeves and Blair Brown were the presidents of the Creative Coalition at the time. And Chris, the Days and uh, Nights of Molly Dodd. Remember that yes. show? 
Oh, yes, I definitely do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was really wild. But uh, what happened was um, Robert Kennedy Jr., you know, from Riverkeeper, who's an extraordinary guy. I mean, just an, an amazing man, uh, wonderful beyond belief and really, you know, the real thing. Uh, he came to us and he said that um, the water, you know, he told us, he said the water is very tainted because people in New York didn't know this and, Maybe you're all going to know this now, but what was right. happening is that big business was dumping into the waterways, and it would go down into the reservoir. And they were dumping industrial waste. They were dumping human waste. They were dumping everything. And at the time, the man that was mayor, I don't think I should mention names at this point, uh, didn't was you know very much involved with big business, so he didn't really do anything about it. And uh, Bobby had been trying for three years to get the waterways bought, you know, by the city and to get cleaned up because people didn't know that they were drinking stuff that really wasn't very good. Right, and the reputation for the water was always so good in New York. Oh, yeah, exactly, but it was kind of a lie, you know, because there were things that were going on. And also, you know, there are pipes. So the water may be good, but then there's things in the pipes, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So... What happened was we, um, you know, they came to us and they said, can you do anything? And, you know, I, I, I thought about it and I thought and I re- had remembered that there was an advertising agency that did a, um, they did all the advertising for the Oceana campaign. I don't know if you remember that whole thing where fishes were being washed up on the shore and they had, you know, syringes in them, you know. No, I don't recall that. Were, yeah, hospitals were dumping into the ocean. That's what was happening. Wow. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the, uh, one of the agencies did a campaign, which was just brilliant. It was a fish, you know, with a syringe stuck in it, and and, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was pretty bad. So I went to that agency, <laughs> and I said, and they did a campaign which was so devastating. And Bobby leaked it to the because um, it was an election year, and they linked it, he leaked it to the mayor, and uh, he bought up, you know, he said we're going to run this, and uh, he bought up the watershed areas right away. So. That's how and the water got good, you know, because no one could dump anymore, you know, from up there. But, uh, yeah, and I was with Creative Coalition a long time. Uh, when Chris DeFarive had the accident, naturally he was not there anymore, and that's when um, Alec Baldwin came in, and then Billy came and in. Billy, and then, Billy Baldwin. Oh, Alec. Yeah, and then well, Billy. Alec also. Alec came in. Actually, Alec came in first, and then Billy came in. Or maybe Billy was there, I think, maybe at the same time. Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's basically it. And then after that, I went to uh, a lot of us um, because the you know the organization changed a little bit, and we were sort of recruited to another agency uh, called um, Inform, which was very good as well, Joanna Underwood's agency. And then she formed another agency called Energy Vision, which is she's greening actually all the garbage trucks all around. I mean, it's pretty incredible. These guys are, you know, the garbage trucks. She's done really a lot of work. It's called Energy Vision. And I've never heard of that. Yeah, and buses too. Yeah, and it, it's great for people to look up because uh, it's a wonderful organization, and they're really doing great stuff. They're just a little under the radar right now, but they're wonderful. Right. That is terrific. So, yeah. So, um, you know, I, then I started, I started developing uh, shows because I was very conscious of what was going on. And I thought, you know, most people, you can tell them things, but, you know, we, we're so 
we're scattered today. You know, we have so many other things. We're multitasking. Yeah. Uh, people, I think that humor. People are distracted today. That's right. They're distracted. And I, I think that humor is the best way to get something through. You know, for instance, um, I did a show recently, and I did it uh, at the um, Open Center in New York because they had opened a cabaret room, and it was called Ripping Through the Rabbit Hole. And I talked about when I was doing a lot of commercials because, you know, when, you, when you're advertising things, you don't really, when you're an actor, you don't really know what's inside those things you're advertising. You don't know if it's good or it's bad for somebody. They're just right. using, you're using your voice or, or they're using your, your body, you know. And mm-hmm. um, because nobody ever had to tell the side effects of anything, and they didn't, they still don't have to, except for dr- certain drugs, and uh, yeah, basically the drug companies, and they don't right, like that. Right, and the tobacco companies. That's right, and tobacco. But there's a lot of other things, you know. So I did some commercials on some foods, which I don't think I should name, but I would, you know, that um, were very funny. And then I did the disclaimer, you know, saying uh, it contains aspartame, which can give you a heart attack. And I went through all the things that were actually in the foods. So the people were hysterical. And then they, they came up to me afterwards. They said, you know, that was so funny. But, of course, that's not what's in a, you know, whatever. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what's in it. And then they went, oh, my God, I'm not going to eat that again. or You know, so the, I started realizing that, the humor that I loved presenting things rather than getting up and giving a seminar to people and saying, don't eat this or don't drink this, this is what's inside it, you know. Mm-hmm. I realized that going about it in another way, so, would you know, really kind of gets to people once they laugh and they think they're not, they're not resistant to the information. Right. That's what I think well, speaking of uh, of laughing, I would love to uh, to offer the listeners a little bit of peek into some of uh, your characters that you've developed. Oh, I do. Um, I know that one of your favorites is uh, Gwendolyn from Southampton. Well, Gwendolyn from Southampton actually was uh, her name is Gwendolyn Bradford. The Gwendolyn from Southampton is a very funny story, which I'll do, and I'll do Gwen's character. Actually, her name is Gwendolyn Bradford, and she uh, lives at the Carlisle Hotel in New York with her husband, Wiley, who's a CEO, was a CEO at Monsanto in the genetic seed division. But now he has his own genetic seed company called Splice, I said, you know, Wiley, it's a great name, but what are you going to make the, what are you going to splice it with? You know, Monsanto's got the patent on everything. You know, the, the horse, the horse floss. You know, the the pelican brains. You know, all of it. He said, oh, don't worry, Gwen. I have something better. I said, what could be better? He said, what do we have on this earth that you can't wipe out, no matter what you do? I said, I don't know. He said, roaches, Gwen. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm going to splice everything with cockroach genes. So, and, and they're, you know something, they can survive anything. So they're very, very good for people to eat. They'll be great for their health. So anyway, you know, so so I was doing that, and I do stuff on the genetic, you know, genetic foods. You know, genetic foods are two foods in one, you know, that you can get. Because if you cross a chicken with a piece of celery, you've got a protein and a vegetable. So if you just eat the celery, all you need is an apple, and you have a full meal, and people are complaining they have no money for food. 
So what does Gwendolyn do with her time when she's not in Southampton? Oh, well, she she doesn't well, she she lives at the Carlisle and Southampton and Bayreuth oh. and Paris and Italy. I see. And Bulgaria. Wow. They and have Bulgaria. houses and yachts everywhere. She has six houses. But anyway, yes, Gwen, you know, she does a lot with her time. First of all, there's shopping. There's a lot of things to get and buy because it's good for the economy. Then you know, she's uh, there's yachting trips, you know, there's dinners, there's a lot of dinner parties that she has to arrange, you know, there's a lot of things. Of she has course. friends, she of has to course. see for tea, you know, and she has to go to her uh, business people, you know, once a week to find out how much they've made. But, you know, she, and she talks about politics. You see, she, what what I have done with her and what I love, we're actually, we're going to be doing this series. She's on now because we... We shot in Zuccotti Park one day, and the Occupy people put put us on their site, too, because they really liked it. But what we did was uh, I interviewed my friend Andy Kaplow, who's a wonderful improv guy. Um, He was my interviewer, and I went down there, and I was wearing a, a, a leopard coat and, you know, fake big fake diamonds and all kinds of things, you know, uh, talking about how I was meeting my husband down there and I didn't know what these people were doing and why they were protesting and how dirty it was <laughs> down there. You know, so, and it was very funny. We took on a lot of stuff. and But now we're going to be doing a series uh, for the web uh, called 1% Gwen so that we're going to have her followed around by a um, documentary filmmaker who is trying nice. to really understand the philosophy of the 1%. But see, through her, it's not that I'm doing rich people, but through her I like to do a lot of political stuff. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that people, it's not that they don't know, they don't get the information. If they did, they would know it. You know, it's just that right. a lot of information is kept from us, you know. And there's a lot of Or it's stuff. difficult to find. You, you have to seek it out. Exactly. You have to go to sites that a lot of people don't go to just normally, right. you know. So yeah, I, what you know, I like... I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go I ahead. was going to say that to to really find out the truth of any situation is challenging today because yeah. mainstream media gives you a very one-sided picture of what's really going on. Exactly. Exactly. So what I love to do is go to the sites or get the information from the inside stuff that I get because of Creative Coalition. I still get a lot of information, you know, because I I would get it when I was at Creative Coalition. I like to get that information and turn that into a lot of fodder for a character. So that's what I love doing. The the very yeah, yeah. I know you have another character called Phoebe Wells. What's that about? Yeah. Well, this is from. I did a show uh, that was that really was a work. We did a workshop for a long time that really, you know, was a lot of fun and got a lot of really really good you know good good press. And it was called Downloaded and in Denial. And it was really about a talk news. This is a character, Stevie Wells. It was about a talk news magazine show, like three years into the future, which. Uh, Recomputerized everything so that they never told the truth, but they were going to give America a really nice day. And the head anchor, the lead anchor, was virtual so that she was morphed from all the personalities of the day. You know, she had Diane Sawyer's lips and 
Rosie O'Donnell's cheeks and Martha Stewart's hair. You know, so she just looked real darn familiar. And the character that I did was, you know, she just was just this, you know, wonderful woman who just, well, she wasn't, but, you know, she sounded just like this absolutely lovely woman. She said, you know, I mean, first of all, you listen to the news today. I mean, what are you getting? You're only getting one-third of the truth anyway, you know. And from that third of the truth, that's very depressing. I mean, America's very depressed from just that one-third of the truth. Now, I say, what do you need that for, you know? For instance, the redwood forest. Now, if all the trees have been cut down in the redwood forest, are you going to go there for a vacation, Robert? Huh? You ever going to go there? You're going to go pick a hotel in the Redwood Forest? If you don't know that they're all gone, then you don't have to be unhappy. You can have a really nice day, you see. So then everything that happens you, is, is kind of on a need-to-know basis. Like, for instance, you know, there was a small town in Idaho. There's no global warming. I mean, it's it's a total hoax, of course. But of course. there's a small town in Idaho. You know, they had a... a, a a volcano, you know, we, I don't know, from something probably underground, you know. And the whole town was wiped out. Now, I said, you know, the people that live there and their loved ones, they, they'll know about it, but why does the rest of the country have to know? So I had a wonderful <laughs> technical genies, you know. They made it into a tornado. They they built back some of the bodies. You know, there, there was an arm that didn't belong on that body, but nobody knew because it was, you know, it was it was on the air. Nobody knew except maybe a loved one that might have seen it. And then, uh, you know, we built up the town, built up some of the houses, you know, and we just told people it was a tornado because why do they have to know the truth? Truth is going to make them very unhappy. See, you don't know it, you feel better, you know. That's basically about it. You know, so it was really, Stevie's character was really about, you know, spinning everything, everything. Right. But, of course, you know, the show was a subsidiary of Fox. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, it was basically, you know, if you're going to palliate the public, completely pal- anesthetize them. Don't palliate them. Just anesthetize right. them. Right. You know, so that Which, was what that character. in a sense, I mean, in a sense, that's being done by the drug companies. Oh, Totally. Oh, absolutely, totally. And I read something today, actually, just, you know, about vaccines, that they're trying to find a new vaccine because they need to sell some more vaccines. They're trying to make vaccines mandatory for people. Right. You know, mandatory. I know of some kids that have had really bad reactions to vaccines. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, but the drug companies, you know, if if you ever watch network TV, and I very rarely watch shows on network TV, but when I do, I would say more than 50% of the television ads are for drugs. And when you look at what the drug is supposed to cure, the side effects sound a lot worse than what it's go- what it's aiming at curing. Exactly. It's, it's unbelievable the potential damage that you incur by taking these drugs. And did you ever hear some of the commercials where they say, and could cause death? Right. One of the side effects. And you wonder why anybody would ever take that pill. Right. And then and, the voice, but they seem to the be voice. having a pill f- right, for everything, you know, for right. any. And, and, and the idea is to invent potential ailments so you could sell pills for it. Exactly. And that's yeah. why I love that's why I love doing that work, because that's exactly what I love to attack. That's exactly right. exactly it. It's you know, it's inventing things so that and and it's very sad because, you know, people don't know they trust doctors and it's not that you can't trust every doctor, it's just that 
you know, you just don't know. And, you know, there. Well, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I, it's not that you can't trust a doctor, but you shouldn't no. put all your faith in any doctor because you are more right. in touch with your body than any doctor is. Exactly. And if people, and if gut, people could learn he, that right. Right, but we're not taught that. We're not taught to have that faith or confidence in our gut feeling about anything. That's right. So people defer to these so-called professionals, and that's when horrible things happen. That's right. That's exactly true. I I had a friend whose mother, you know, was taking about 20 different pills, and she was sick all the time. And I would say to her, you don't really need all of this. You should see somebody who's alternative as well. No, her doctor was God, and that was it. Right. Hey, that's her choice. You know, if that's, that's what she right. wants to do, uh, that wouldn't be my choice. But right, nor mine. Uh, nor but but apparently that's her choice, and you have to respect that. You know, um, absolutely. You know, it, it, it comes down to you really can't force anything on anybody. You can suggest things, mm-hmm. alternatives, perhaps a different way of looking to things. But there's no need to force anything on anybody. Exactly. I totally agree with you. That's right. Right. Yeah. And uh, so now that we're, you know, the time has just flown, Cynthia, and it's been such an enjoyable <laughs> I talk <so> time. Much. <laughs> uh, no, it's been totally enjoyable. With the few seconds left, believe it or not, we have like 20 seconds, 25 oh, seconds no, left. Oh, really? Oh, my I God. know. What's on the horizon for you? What are you looking forward to in the next six months? Any new projects you want to talk about briefly? Well, I'm looking forward to uh, doing Gwendolyn, 1% Gwen. And I'm looking forward, we have a film in development that I wrote called Loxie and the Duke, and looking forward to hopefully getting that done. And, uh, you know, on on its way, it's got some nice people attached to it so far. And um, then I'm in the middle of a young adult novel, and... um, and we're running out of time. I I want to thank you so much for appearing on the show, and there's oh, so much more to talk well. about. I hope and I didn't talk perhaps, too long. I didn't take. I didn't get questions. So, uh, but the talk was quite enjoyable and informative. So once again, Cynthia Adler, consummate entertainer, and Cynthia, thanks so much for appearing on the show. This is Monergy Life. Have a great thank evening, you. everybody. Bye. Good night. Good night.